Galapagos. Galapagos. What does that word mean to you, Becca? Oh, God. Um, it means Darwin and animals. But mostly animals? Mostly animals. Exactly. I can name no other person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just Charles Darwin. Pretty much. But he's, a, he's an important person. So. He is. He's an incredibly important person. We wouldn't have evolved without him. <laughs> yeah, that's um, how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But apart from Darwin, all that anyone ever says about the Galapagos are, are the animals. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I went to the Galapagos because I'm a very, very, very lucky lad. And the animals were really stunning. They were like cartoonishly Dr. Doolittle, knock your socks off stunning. But what's just as amazing are the human stories. And they are some seriously, seriously salty yarns. And that's what we want to tell on this episode. A little while back, I got a chance to go to the Galapagos Islands. And as I was planning the trip and as I was heading out there, my brain was pretty much fully fixated on the animals. And they are incredible. I went snorkeling one day and there were just these dustbin lid sea turtles sliding casually by my mask. And then as we came into the shallows, all these little baby sea lions were frolicking around me. And then I was having a cup of coffee and what landed on the rim of my coffee cup? But a Darwin's finch that was just looking me up and down like, so I'm responsible for the theory of evolution. What have you ever achieved? It's really hard to overstate how weird it is to be surrounded by these quote-unquote wild animals who don't even notice that you're there. It gives you such a brain-throbbing sense of time. These animals have been here so long without humans, they've evolved to not be afraid of us. You know, the color of the water is the first thing I notice when I wake up. That's Jimena. My name is Jimena and I am a naturalist guide uh, here on the islands. Jimena left the city and moved to the island of Isabella in the Galapagos in 1998. She was my tour guide when I was out there. I always describe the place to friends and family and visitors as one of those uh, magic reality novels, you know, from the Latin American writers back in the 1970s or so. It's a place where the human history was very, very rough, but this rough human history mixes up with the ecologically naive creatures. It's difficult to believe that it's actually real. I'd thought that my time on the Galapagos would be totally taken up by nature, but after meeting Jimena, someone who actually lives on Galapagos, I ended up wondering more and more about the other humans that lived there. The only human I'd ever heard related to the Galapagos was Charles Darwin. What's it like to live somewhere where you, you the human, are the newcomer? So the islands became known to the world uh, way before Ecuadorian government took possession. The islands were visited, especially by British sailors, whalers, pirates and buccaneers, as early as the late 1700s, early 1800s. And so to a lot of the British visitors who were skilled enough 
to navigate into these waters, the islands became known as enchanted, and not necessarily on a nice or positive way. They became the enchanted islands as a bewitched kind of uh, idea because it was very difficult to sail around the very rough uh, ocean waters, and so a lot of the visitors did want to, did plan to go to one particular island, and they somehow ended up in another. And what also happens with Galapagos is that during the colder months, which are between June and December, where we get a greater influence of the Humboldt current, uh, the islands are surrounded or covered by mist. They they couldn't find the islands, or the islands kept appearing and disappearing. But it's not just the mist that earned the Galapagos its supernatural reputation. In 1820, sailors hunting for giant tortoises and whales got an unexpected visit from a sperm whale, who rammed their boat so hard that it was wrecked. The sailors were forced to abandon ship, floating for weeks without rescue, and resorted to cannibalism to survive. A century later, a German couple called Dr. Friedrich Ritter and Dora Strauch set up a nudist vegetarian commune on Floriana Island, attracting more like-minded individuals like Baroness Wagner de Bosquet, who arrived in a menage a trois with her two male lovers. This small community ended up in multiple murders, which are still unsolved to this day. So it's like, whatever insane natural circumstances led to the animals evolving the way they did, well, that also worked on the humans, but just in different ways. In fact, the beginnings of human life on the island of Isabella, where Jimena lives, are a lot less magical than the picture books might have you imagine. Isabella became an inhabited island after Ecuadorian government had taken possession of it. And so uh, the only way to take possession of the islands was by opening up penal colonies. Today on Isabella we have a very complex social and family network that is kept together and it doesn't really mix well with the newcomers. It's kind of difficult to understand family relationships because during the days of the colony there were not a lot of females, just a few females that had kids with more than one man. And so as prisoners the directors of the prison made them will build the wall for no particular reason at all, just to punish them. They made them carry heavy lava rocks on their bare shoulders underneath the equatorial sun. In a lot of cases, they just didn't make it. This wall became known as the Wall of Tears. It's now a beautiful linear nature trail. The locals still reckon that if you listen carefully, you can hear the whispers from those who passed away building it. So what happened with the penal colony in Isabella? You know, as the colony closed down, some of the inmates that did not want to go back to the mainland decided to stay. They had already fallen in love with some of the females that the government sent. 
And so they decided to organize themselves and founded the town that has become Puerto Villamil today. So from pirates and buccaneers to affairs and incarceration, behind the shots of giant turtles and blue-footed boobies, the Galapagos hides a turbulent human history. But despite some very rocky starts, it is now widely populated. Today, five out of the 13 islands are inhabited, with over 40,000 people living there. In fact, it's one of the fastest growing economies in South America. I know that 40,000 people sounds like an awful lot of people for the Galapagos Islands. Of course, they've gone over there for work, and it's tourism that's created that work. Tourism is now a huge part of life in Galapagos and accounts for the vast majority of occupations on the island. I spoke to Sven. Yeah, so uh, my name is Sven Lindblad and I'm the CEO and founder of, of Lindblad Expeditions. Who I traveled with. And the Galapagos has been a very, very important place for us for a very, very long time, dating back to 1967 uh, when my father, Lars Erik Lindblad, uh, really opened up the possibility of going to Galapagos for tourism. It's a very special place, uh, full of wonder, also some challenges, and I would encourage anyone who ever has the possibility to go there at some point in their lives. I spoke to a woman called Jimena, who said that when she arrived, there were only sand roads and very few cars, just bikes on the islands. And now there are 40,000 people living there. How did that, how did that happen, Sven? <laughs> yeah, there I, I do remember those sand roads and those odd bicycles. And uh, it's it's really quite amazing now going into the main community of Puerto Ayora uh, and a couple of others and seeing the way it's grown. And uh, of course, the, the human community is primarily to support the system. And the system uh, is there to support the industry of tourism. So in many ways, most people there are in one way or the other connected with this phenomenon of tourism. The other thing is, it's, it's interesting, is that the, uh, the Galapagos has, has the highest standard of living in Ecuador. So it's uh, pretty desirable. And uh, one of the challenges that they do have is, is population. Uh, how's that going to be dealt with? How's that going to be managed? Uh, that has been a, an issue for, for many, many years and will continue to be. It seems like the history of the Galapagos is one of constant struggle between nature and humans. From the bewitched seas, confusing sailors and causing shipwrecks, nature started off as the victor, constantly outsmarting human influence. But in 2018, this relationship has shifted. I read that there are now so many cars on the Galapagos that at least 10,000 finches become roadkill every year. And now there are only 100 mangrove finch left. I mean, we'll end up killing the animals before evolution catches on and they start defending themselves. Well, there's a debate right now, and I think it's a worthy one. So you have traditionally people visited the Galapagos. They, uh, they went by ship. Uh, there was relatively little infrastructure anywhere on the land, and that's changing. Uh, and so now a tremendous well, relatively speaking, number of uh, small hotels have been developing in the areas 
where there are human communities. And mind you, that's less than 5% of the entire landmass of the Galapagos. The rest is, is national park. And that's just happened in the relative recent, uh, relatively recent times, last 10 years or so. And I think that was spurred largely by an influx of interest from uh, South America more broadly, uh, Brazil, Argentina, and mainland Ecuador. And it provided a, uh, above all else, a, a less expensive way to visit the islands. You know, so there are, I, I can't remember at last count, but I mean dozens and dozens and dozens of hotels or, you know, lodging of one sort or another that have developed in the last 10 years. Now that uh, the economic opportunity for building hotels and such has developed, it's now come to the forefront uh, as a serious question because while it clearly has value economically, it does bring along with it all kinds of challenges and those challenges just have to be, have to be weighed. And I know for a fact that, that, that people are looking at this seriously uh, to try and figure out you know, how, do you, how do you sort of control this galloping effect of hotel development. I, th I think at the end of the day, the question has to be how much of an effect is acceptable and when do you cross a line? So can it be done? I asked Jimena, as someone who sees the daily toll tourism is taking on the islands. Where do we go from here? Can humans live in harmony with nature? One of my worries is the well-being of the creatures, the creatures I have fallen in love with. You know, the increase in human activity and tourism, and fishery especially, are maybe beginning or pushing the creatures away. And I just can't handle that uh, idea today. Even though rules and regulations are very clear for everybody, due to the lack of serious control, maybe things are still going on without much notice. I particularly believe that only with happier people we will be able to contribute directly to the well-being of the ecosystems as a whole. Humans have become a part of it and should be able to show the world that things are doable. One thing is very interesting is to realize that in the 183 years from Darwin's uh, time and today, we as humans have learned about environment and conservation and are giving this very unique place a chance. You know, this is just a huge step ahead on human thinking. When we first met, I remember Jimena saying something that made me actually shiver. If we can't save the Galapagos, she told me, where can we save? Thank you to Jimena Cordova and Sven Lindblad for talking to us. 
to Alana and Jesse as producers for this episode from Reduced Listening, and to Agnieszka at Rough Guides. We used Sounds of the Galapagos from Limblad Expedition's National Geographic. We used music from local musicians Echo Arte. We used Sounds of the Galapagos by Chris Watson from Touch Radio, curated by Mike Harding. The next episode of the Rough Guide to Everywhere is all about the phenomenon of DNA travel. <laughs> <laughs>